Hi, everyone, and welcome to this intermediary episode of EHE Group's brand new show, Fast Growth Funding. So why are we doing this? Look, last season, we heard from some truly remarkable founders and investors who all shared their advice and stories on the highs and lows of scaling startups. And we had some great fun doing it. We heard from some awesome people like in episode two, David Levine. David's an entrepreneur, investor, founder, and the principal of Manchester Angels Network. In that episode, we discussed some really important topics like the growing importance of diversity with angel investment and why the risk from investors differs so wildly between those based in the UK and the USA. In episode five, we heard from James Brooks and Rupert Rutledge from the Startup Factory. Together, they unpack what due diligence entails from the entrepreneur's point of view. Another great example is in episode eight, we heard from Emma Cassidy of DSW Ventures, where we discussed some of the do's and the don'ts of creating your pitch deck, something that's absolutely fundamental for any entrepreneur out there. And in episode 11, we heard from Nigel Lombard of Peppercorn, who actually was one of EHE Ventures' very first startups that they helped raise investment for. So it was a really, really great season, all specifically designed around helping entrepreneurs enter that fast growth phase. But this season, we've decided to shift the perspective a little bit from telling fast growth stories to talking about fast growth funding, because we're going to be helping shed a light on the world of AI investments this series, helping investors navigate these waters by giving them everything they need to know when it comes to keeping up to date with AI developments, vetting tech companies for investments, and finding the right companies to back. We're really excited to get started. We're going to be demystifying some of the technical elements of AI investments. So you, the investor, can enjoy that investment journey with tech companies that are at the forefront of AI developments. But before we get stuck into all of that, here are some of our favorite moments from last season. Hope you guys enjoy and see you soon for the launch of Fast Growth Funding. Remember, you can follow EHE Ventures for the latest updates on the new podcast that's coming up. And stay tuned for new updates on EHE's latest AI and early stage growth fund. See you guys soon. We're kicking this compilation off with a great conversation we had from David Levine, the principal of Manchester Angels Network. It's a fantastic conversation all about the importance of diversity with angel investment. You know, I, I roll my sleeves up, I think. So if, if, I, if I see a problem... I will typically get frustrated so that I go and fix it myself. A very small example was just before Christmas, I was frustrated with the loads, loads of tech events within the region oh, yeah. that were on Wednesdays and Thursdays, right? So we went through this period of like three or four events on Wednesday or Thursday, one on the Tuesday and none on the Monday. And, and to the point that we had a, a great female founders event, PwC round, which I attended, and at the same day, 200 yards away, at the same time, there was Meta running a female founders event. And, and that cohort is, is ridiculously mm. small enough anyway. So why, why were we splitting off? And so I went and built manchestertechevents.com, which is, you know, as it sounds, right? It's an event calendar for anybody to, mm. to add their event onto that calendar to prevent that type of crowding of stuff. So it's an example of just, you know, Luckily, I have the skills, I have the tools and, 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 you know, have the ability to Google and figure out how to do something. And I will typically go out and do something to solve a problem. Bro, I remember when you, you built that because we had had a couple of events last year where 
you try the best will in the world, don't you, to check there's no other events on that day and you, and you believe that there's not. And then you find out when you're running your event that, you know, there is something like, say, similar, not just similar, but like right on your doorstep as well. And I thought it was really funny that when you built that, literally everybody in the tech ecosystem went, oh, thank goodness David's done that. Because I feel like everyone had waited for it, but you were the person that, that went and built it and, and ultimately solved that problem. And I think that is truly an entrepreneur. That's totally within your your DNA, isn't it? And it's something that I suppose we see a lot with founders. You know, they they identify a problem and they create yeah. something, a solution to fix it. And and the way I summarise it is, I don't really know a lot about anything really, but I just have confidence that I'll figure a way of getting it done, even if, if even if it's with chewing gum and sticky tape. And I think that's what makes an entrepreneur. And you see this, you know, that we have the most fantastic and incredible talent right across the region here in the Northwest. And that is, I guess, the, the common thing amongst them all is they'll just figure a way and make it happen. And that is the key. I hope you guys enjoyed that little snippet from David Levine. Now let's jump into a conversation we had with James Brooks and Rupert Rutledge from TSF, all about due diligence. The point of a DD isn't, isn't to try and trip people up. I think that's the sort of thing people need to remember when, when you're looking at DD, people coming in to do this aren't looking to trip you up. They're not looking to close the book and say, we shouldn't invest in you. And that's not what we do. What we're really looking to do is help you identify where the gaps are and allow you to have the opportunity to say, we're aware of this, we're addressing this. And that then all goes into the investment case of we've identified the gaps. Here's the answers that they've given. Here's the risks associated with them. And then it's over to the investor to really then go through that, whether more work needs to be done or whether they're happy to proceed on that basis. Brilliant. Thank you. So, in terms of due diligence, let's take it from the investment point of view at the moment. So an investor has requested some due diligence as part of the funding process. Could you just outline a bit of the initial process that you would go through with the entrepreneur and the founding company? Yeah, so essentially it works in three phases, really. And the first one's the discovery phase, where we try and assess what we actually need to do more of a deep dive into. That usually starts with us sending out a list of questions free form answer questions where we try and sort of drill down and work out what we need to take a deeper look into. After that, we've sort of discovered what we need to investigate and we go and do that deep dive through interviews with key people in the company, through looking at code from a technology perspective, such and product roadmaps, all all technology engineering focused things as well. And once we've got everything collated that we need, we go and write up a report and share that with all parties afterwards. Real, thank you. Really interesting. So ha- typically that middle part where you're kind of having the face-to-face, doing the code walkthrough, how long might that take? So we've had it in a few different ways. Some we've actually just gone and done a trip up for the day, sat in their offices. We've had a whole schedule full of meetings, discussions, whether that's me and Rupert, whether it's other members of the team, all having, having discussions with different people to try and get as good a picture as possible. We have also had it where it's taken a couple of weeks where usually a lot of Zoom calls are involved, lots of just trying to do those, that schedule of meetings to actually get to the same point. 
usually there can be a couple of follow-ups as well afterwards. So once we've done our day or we've done the bulk of the meetings, sitting down together, discussing what we've what, what's actually happened, and then any little bits of follow-up information we need to do. So typically, you're looking at a couple of weeks, but we have done it in uh, shorter timescales where that's been able, where we've been able to go to, say, an office and do it all in a day. Yeah. The most recent took a couple of weeks, and one of the reasons for that was because they were a remote-first company, so it just was harder to organize the Zooms or also time zone differences, so it took a little longer. But, you know, two weeks would hopefully be the maximum. Yeah. Next up, guys, is a conversation we had with the wonderful Emma Cassidy of DSW Ventures, all about what to look for in an investor. Our current portfolio, we've got 11 companies, and these are across a range of sectors. So we've got B2B software, some data insights, consumer marketplaces, and then some uni spin-outs, which is more on the deep tech and life science side. So we do like to look at everything. But I suppose with our SEIS funds that's coming into play, We'll be looking at a lot more deep tech and uni spin outs in that, as I think, because there'll be earlier stage, less revenue or no revenue. So we'll have more of a focus on IP rich and really defensible businesses. So in that portfolio of 11, we had our first exit at Christmas time in a company called Akai Outdoor Wear. They were a women's outdoor trouser brand. We've got a 4.2 times return on that, which we're really pleased about. So if anyone's listening and wants to invest in our SEIS fund, <laughs> that's an example of what we can do. And then I suppose what's also important to know is we're a founding partner on the British Business Bank's Regional Angels Programme. So that means we've got a £10 million pot with them and that contributes a significant amount to each of the funding rounds that we do. Yeah, so the SEIS money will be a fund but with our EIS investments, we actually have a portfolio of high net worth professional investors who invest in a deal by deal basis, as well as all of the employees across Dowscoot Field Watts, which is what DSW stands for. They can also invest on each opportunity. So DSW Ventures itself is part of a wider group called Dowscoot Field Watts, which does the more traditional finance stuff like corporate finance, private equity, debt advisory and wealth management plus some other services so all, all the employees across that group have the opportunity to invest on each deal as well so we've got skin in the game <laughs> on all of our deals and we're just one more point to note we're a, we're quite a low volume investor so 11 deals across since 2018 might not sound like much but I think We've kind of gone against the spray and pray technique and it's more low quality, sorry, not low quality, <laughs> low volume, high quality. So we do quite extensive due diligence on the businesses that we invest in and we do that all ourselves and in-house. And then post-investment, we're really heavily involved with our portfolio companies and in regular contact. So we, we don't have time to do a million deals a year. So it's probably, we probably do up to between three and five EIS investments per year. Now we're jumping straight into a conversation with Nigel Lombard of Peppercorn. It's a fantastic conversation all about revolutionizing insurance. 
you know, you, you, you describe the platform obviously fully digitized, which means that there's far less people in the call center than typically would be the case. What kind of ratio of people go through the pure digital journey without having to talk to uh, a human? I mean, I know the reviews on, I was going to say TripAdvisor. Trustpilot. Yep, Trustpilot. Thank you. Thank you, Trustpilot. You know, hitting the sort of 4.7 mark and Google's very similar, might even be slightly higher. So they're really good reviews. And is that predominantly without speaking to a human being? Yes, it's the short answer. So I'll just elaborate a bit. So first of all, we have no inbound call center. That is absolutely our modus operandi. Apart from claims, which is which is a very different sort of situation where that is required. But no inbound call center. So customers are empowered to self-service, to complete their sale, to ask questions using, and we use natural language understanding and AI to be able to answer those questions. We do have humans that will take over digital conversations from time to time. And and I will try and answer your question directly. So what we started with was effectively the worst version of our digital proposition. The reason it was the worst version is because we're using AI and machine learning, essentially. So the more consumer conversations we have, um, the more our uh, conversation design and training of the natural language understanding gets better and better and better. So literally, pretty much literally every day, our conversational interface has got gotten better and better and better. I don't want to give too much away, Guy, in terms of the exact ratio, but suffice to say that in the UK, the market average expense ratio of car insurance premium, in other words, the percentage that goes towards the costs, is in excess of 25% of all the premium just goes towards the cost of, of running an insurance business or a brokerage end-to-end. We, uh, our numbers are very much on track to be much closer to 10%. But it's getting better every, every single day. But obviously, we had upfront investment. But essentially, the business plan is absolutely on track and working. And if anything, is probably slightly better in, in many respects in, in terms of efficiency. And finally, wrapping things up is a fantastic interview with Kiran Mehta from Mercia Asset Management PLC, all about exploring the world of funding from an investor's perspective. I think I probably see between 100 and 150 pitch decks in most years. So quite a high volume of that. And then, you know, probably doing two, three, maybe four deals. So on average, I reckon it's around 2% of the deals that I personally receive that then end up translating to an investment or an investment that I've led myself from, from Mercia. Obviously that not necessarily all of those businesses will not get funded. Some will get funded clearly by different investors for an array of reasons, but yeah, the kind of success rate from a pitch deck that lands on my desk through to an investment is about 2%. And whilst I've not got any kind of empirical data wider than that, I, I very much believe that, that that's the kind of case across most of the team internally and then, and then equally across the industry. So. That's probably quite hard for, for founders to hear. Obviously, there's there's a lot of time and effort that's spent in curating pitch decks and, and probably a bit of frustration that it doesn't always get to the successful outcome. I think there are a few really basic kind of hygiene factors. So that, you know, most funds will have a tick list of stage, sector, geographic location, check size, all that other stuff. And the pitch deck's a great place to start with that. So ultimately, if you're a business that's raising hundred million pounds probably don't want to be speaking to me. Similarly, if you're looking at raising 
£10,000, then again, I'm, I'm probably not the person to help you with that. So that's kind of one aspect of what we qualify and qualify out. And then the second piece is really probably the more important bit around the kind of commercial view of the business. So ultimately, what is the product? What does it do? What stage is the company up to? Why is this a particular management team that can go out and, and solve the problem that's in front of them? And ultimately, kind of how big is the market opportunity? Because I'm sure we'll probably touch on this later that, you know, given the success rate of early stage businesses, we, we need the companies that we're backing to be able to, on success, generate a material level of, of return. So in terms of kind of a few particular hints and tips on on pitch decks, for me, the, the kind of best, of, the, the advice I always give, because it's the way I would think about it if I was a founder, and ultimately what I like seeing is, just having a really strong value proposition up from, you know, typically slide two. And by slide two, I mean the slide after the front page, which really, you know, just a one liner of what your value is as a business to your customers. And different, you know, different businesses might have, you know, mission statement or objectives that they work to. But I always think for that value proposition, it should be something that's really cold, hard facts. And it's typically addressed in, it's not quite put in such blunt terms, but either we help our customers generate X amount of extra revenue or we save our customers Y amount of costs typically because, because the software is doing something that, that may have been done by, by people historically. You know, and I think just in terms of grabbing and capturing an investor's attention, something that's just got that front and central is, is a good place to start. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this compilation. I hope you enjoyed all of our favorite bits from season one of Fast Growth Stories. Just a reminder to stay peeled on LinkedIn for the latest updates on our brand new series called Fast Growth Funding. And remember to keep an eye out for EHE Ventures updates on the AI and early stage growth fund. Thanks for listening. See you guys soon.